Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, in a conversation that's being recorded on the 5th of April, 2022. And today we're going to be talking to our guest, Sean Stone, who long-term Corbett Report viewers with elephantine memories will remember from when I was on his old show, The Buzzsaw, back in 2016. Yes, it has been six years, I think, since we last connected. Sean Stone, good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Um, good. It's, it's wonderful to see you again. Yeah, it's been a long time. So uh, let's update people as to what's going on. I think I should start by directing people to your website, seanstone.info, where they can find out about the various projects that you're involved with and things that you've done and books that you've written and documentary series that you're that you're working on and releasing. But let's uh, let's update people about what's been going on in your hectic life lately, including, as I understand, the recent loss of a program that you were until recently hosting on RT. Well, see, that's a misunderstanding, actually. And it's funny saying that in the New York Times and other places. Yeah. And it's like, no, our Watching the Hawks, which I did with Tyrell and Tabitha, um, which was a really a spinoff from Buzzsaw, that lasted until 2020. Right. I actually haven't been RT since then. I, was, I would contribute to that. I thought so. I thought I didn't know he was still doing that. But then I was reading it in the New York Times. How could they be Thank wrong? You. I mean, it must be true. Fake news. <laughs> yeah, we got the, like, the Great Lady Winked is a, is a good book about the New York Times fault and long history of, of factual inaccuracies and le- outright lying. And I just, you know, I'm so sick of all these outlets. I mean, literally, the New York Times mentioned me in the context of a mistake I had made um, on the on the last time I went. I contributed talking about the um, the virtue signaling of celebrities during the Ukraine war. And I had read something. It was a satire piece about Oprah canceling. Um, yeah, the Tolstoy's War and Peace, but we're in a world where satire is like so close to reality that it's very difficult to distinguish sometimes, yeah. right? So I, I'm like, of all the years I've been on RT, of all the shows I've done, of all the interviews I've done, of all the commentary I've done, you select the one time I make I, I made a factual inaccuracy. And what about you, you guys, you crooks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we will direct people to the Gray Lady Winked if they want more <laughs> information about uh, the New York Times colored history and factual inaccuracies. Um, but let's let's not dwell on that. Actually, I want to talk about a new documentary series. I don't know how new. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when it started to get released. But anyway, I have watched the first five chapters of it, and I, uh, I see there are six chapters that uh, have been released so far, at any rate. Uh, it's a documentary series called Best Kept Secret. Again, information about that is at seanstone.info, but the, uh, the, the little... Blurb text here, human trafficking, pedophilia, satanic politics, the Jeffrey Epstein scandal was the tip of the iceberg, as Sean Stone, former host of Buzzsaw, lays out the hidden agenda of the dark elite in this six-part documentary series, Best Kept Secret. Tell us about this documentary series and when and how it came about. Yeah, well, you know, really it came about at the beginning of 2020, ironically, when, like, I think, like, the day the lockdown started in California, where I was then living... And um, I was like, well, here we go. Nothing's going to happen for a, a minute here. You know, who knows how long this is going to last. So I started thinking about doing a documentary. And I really always appreciated all that about, we did about Buzzsaw. We did these great shows. We get great conversations with so many people, including yourself. But being like, how do you say, it's like an archive, right? It's like a, it's like a, a library, a galactic library of information, right? So many topics. And I thought, well, if I was going to take this, the through line, what is to me the most important thread through the the buzzsaw narrative and it is this notion that humans are slaves 
And despite all the, the indoctrination and the programming and the, the media salesmanship, you know, propaganda turned into public relations, um, we still are. Most, you know, most people are still slaves. They're still debt slaves. They're still uh, basically within the, the corporate structure of, of these countries, of the United States and every other country in the world. You know, they're basically, humans are basically still the property of these, these states. And then, so I wanted to get into the different layers of how um, that slavery works, from the literal physical human slavery that exists in the world, the trafficking of, of women, children, and men, um, the pedophilia of, of, of children that's oftentimes used uh, for ritual purposes as well as for compromising of politicians and powerful people, um, the uh, the slavery of mind control, basically, how people are under spells of mind control. We get into the MKUltra history in our own country and and obviously how that's gone throughout the gener how to the present day where um, under the Obama administration they basically legalized propaganda against the American people. It makes you really wonder why so much of this war coverage and so much of the COVID coverage and other things are so so heavily skewed and and have so so heavily biased um, because it's become so normalized to propagandize people and make basically news into entertainment. Um, and then we get into things like uh, the transhuman agenda, really, right? The New World Order, which is really one world government. I wrote about it in my book, New World Order, and then uh, evolved that from the one world government concept into what's the best way to ultimately control the human being is to get in there at the level of genetics, at the level of uh, merging humans with machinery, uh, the various ingredients that are involved in this vaccination and other things that will be put into the human body, essentially, to make the human ultimately more, you could say, uh, electromagnetically compatible, <laughs> more re resonant, you know, with the various electromagnetic spectrums that are unleashed upon us. There was study, people think this is crazy, but there were studies that were done by CIA MK Ultra doctors back in the 70s on monkeys and other animals showing how you could remotely control the behavior of these creatures, you know, using just the, you know, electromagnetic frequencies and whatnot. So this is not far-fetched, this is based in fact, and we try to really be as factual as possible in going through this series and laying out the case for ultimately what I call a satanic agenda, which is basically a an agenda to take the human being out of the natural universe, as we've really encountered the last hundred years, especially it's been, um, you know, since the birth of the chemical biological revolutions, the chemical weaponry of the first world war, the biological fascination of, you know, developing, uh, uh, what is it called? Gain of function and, and various viruses. Um, the, the fascination with genetics, going back to eugenics, which was really eugenics conferences being held in America and, and England which the Germans picked up on. The Nazis, you know, evolved that in their own direction. But we've always been fascinated by, by genetics and genetic um, manipulation. And then, obviously, that led to our GMO food crops and, you know, the various spraying that's gone on, you know, with Monsanto and other companies, you know, just basically perpetuating this whole movement to a synthetic chemical and chemical and uh, induced, you know, reality as opposed to, and then the next step being like the metaverse, away from the physical uh, reality that we were born into as, let's say, physical living beings. I think that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate intention of what we're saying that the uh, the dark side is trying to create here. Right. It is. I mean, it certainly paints a picture, and you walk it through in that uh, timeline. Chapter one: the beast. Chapter two: mind control. Chapter three: compromise. Chapter four: new world order. Chapter five: blood ritual. Chapter six: archons. And it definitely seems to be uh, telling a story in a narrative 
sense that that kind of progresses. But as you say, you do make um, extensive use of a lot of your old Buzzsaw interviews and, and footage that you have from that. Tell us about some of the people that are talking in this documentary. Sure, sure. I mean, we start with uh, the, some of the classics like David Icke. Um, I remember Professor Griff is in there. Um, then Daniel Estulin, right? Um, I, what's coming to my mind right now are some of the new people that we got to incorporate um, because it was cool to, to talk to like Michio Kaku, to uh, talk to Kathy O'Brien, who I'd known about since a kid but had never had a chance to interview, um, uh, G. Edward Griffin. Um, the other one I was just blanking. Uh, I'll come. I'll come back to one of the classic busts. Also, was Alex Jones um, and Nick Bryant, who was a wrote the Franklin scandal. That was actually from watching the Hawks. We, you know, we used some of the my RT watching the Hawks interviews, things like MK Ultra. We talked about on watching the Hawks. So. Um, again, it's like it's a wide collection of, of personalities. Actually, I, can I interject? One that was yeah. interesting to me that I, I mean, I, I certainly know a lot of the, these people and I've seen their faces before. One that was definitely new to me was Marshall Silver, who I believe is a stage hypnotist. Yeah, Marshall Silver, exactly. He has a, a show in Vegas and very colorful. Um, you know, he's got that charm. He's got, you know, hypnotists really like Obama. They have to be charming. <laughs> and so very convincing, right? It's full of that oozing with confidence. And Marshall Silver has that. And what, what was great was when you know, I looked back, because I was thinking about what's going on with COVID and this was back in 2020 and whatnot, with the lockdowns and all the, the social distancing and the masking and the, you know, the vaccination step by step. And he broke it down so, so well with hypnosis. And he's like, you know, first you got to get people to have, have, you know, be like, you know, you, you got to enjoy this. You got to be part of this experience. We have to basically be in this together, right? That whole concept that we're, we're having Having a shared experience here, let's go with it. And step by step, you break them out, break them down. Obviously, it's a different process with uh, long-term, you know, mind control, which is really what they were achieving. I think it's easier to achieve long-term mind control. Hypnotists, if you think about it, they're achieving it in a few minutes, so it's a little bit, uh, a little bit more daring, and maybe not as, maybe it doesn't hold as long. But when you do long-term versions of this, you end up with societies where, to the present day, uh, people are still you know, walking off masks, still fearful of COVID, still getting their next booster shot. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it, it is a marvel to behold what has happened. And I, I keep coming back to this actually recently. It is, it is, an, it really is an incredible thing to behold this entire system of control that is being put into place in order to, as you say, essentially enslave humanity and ultimately to transition humanity into transhuman whatever is coming next. Um, I guess the obvious question, the one that it always comes back to, is why? <laughs> well, I mean, in the documentary, we we pose different different whys. Uh, Aaron Russo, as you may know, right? He did the he was a film producer, trading places, you know, very much in the Hollywood crowd. He, he basically transitions at the end of his life into becoming more politicized because of his conversations with this guy Nicholas Rockefeller, who's uh, a globalist, very much, you know, part of CFR, very involved with China, I've seen over the years, and like one of like the Facebook of China, one of those kind of kind of companies. Um, and Rockefeller was telling him back in the 90s, they were hanging out like, listen, you know, 
the CFR pretty much, you know, calls the shots in terms of how we how things are moved and manipulated when it comes to some of the major um, structures, the political structure of the United States. And this goes back to the origins of the CFR. I wrote about in my book, New World Order, and others have done as well. It's like the origins of CFR being basically J.P. Morgan bankers uh, derived from the British roundtable groups, which were all geared towards a new world order being a one world government, right, trying to control and influence governments. Um, and that it, obviously, with, with complex as governments are, you have to get in to the various, top, you know, the top branches of different things, whether it's State Department, whether it's um, influencing media, whether it's foundations, you know, that, that can finance uh, various education programs, right, and colleges and, and UN programs and all, you name it, right, all the foundations that sponsor the various uh, outlets that create the mainstream narratives. So the CFR being what it is, being as powerful as it is for, you know, going on 100 years now, which, you know, this guy Rockefeller was telling Russo about, you know, joining the CFR and then they were having conversations. And one of the things that he talked about was, look, the goal for, you know, one of the goals of all this power is to be able to chip humans to manipulate the markets completely. Right. Because at this point, market manipulation is largely done, as we know, when you have a lot of money. Right. And you can. You can, you know, you speculate and all of a sudden a Soros starts pulling his money out. Like in the old days, you know, 200 years ago was the Rothschilds pulling their money out. People would panic and they'd flee, right? And J.P. Morgan, the same. Like all these, if you have a lot of money and you, you buy, you know, you can basically move markets based on where your money is flowing. But um, there's manipulation of markets. There's obviously media can sell things, right? They can, you know, they can promote things. They can indoctrinate you, you know, Pfizer, 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 Pfizer brought to you. you know, Pfizer is good. Okay, I want the Pfizer. But um, there's also, you know, the chipping, which is a more perfect form of mind of, of total mind body interface. So you think about how the surveillance societies have worked, right? The surveillance has basically gone from the level of uh, in the old days, you know, looking through your mail to, <laughs> to um, you know, to having like a spook that would, you know, be infiltrating the different groups. You know, you had the different political groups in the 60s and 70s time period and infiltrate them, you know, and, you, you know, you'd have like campaigns to write letters, you know, you know, oh, the Black Panthers, you know, they, you know, the Black Panthers are, are you know, hate this group. And then the other group, you know, then, they, and then we, you know, they hated the Panthers and they started war between them, that kind of thing. Um, or Malcolm X, you know, versus, you know, you name a nation of Islam. They, this is like, this is old school surveillance and infiltration and, you know, listening in with your, you know, the old school uh, landlines. Then we got to the cellular level, right, which is just more, you know, metadata collection of everything that's on our apps and our phones. And okay, and then the next level is going to be biometric feedback. You know, once you get the chips in there, the Pentagon talked about like, oh yeah, we can monitor if you have COVID. We're going to put a chip in your body. <laughs> if you have COVID, really, you need to wear a chip in your body. Like this is just this is this is obviously not for that. This is about biometric. Um, being able to basically read, you know, learn more and more about the human system and the, and the whole nature of what goes on inside the, in the human body. So there's there's a feedback, there's a learning mechanism, there's a learning aspect to the chipping, and then there's obviously the manipulation factor, which is listen, hey, if we can get a uh, hundred million people, you know, turned on to buy our product, well, that's easy money, obviously, for the oligarchs who are who are who are, who has prospered for the most part from the last two years. We've seen probably the greatest welfare transfer in history, right? Even bigger than 2008, which was itself massive when all the lockdowns occurred. And now you have 1% of America. And really, I would say it's really 1% of 1%. But that little type, top little tip of the pyramid has more wealth than the entire middle class of America for the first time in history. So 
or in our, in our history, I should say. So it's, it's tremendous what's taken place as far as this wealth transfer and how much power and concentration of, of wealth creates more power and more influence. And that's ultimately what I believe it's about. I believe it's about, you know, it's a fear-based, the reptilian brain-based desire to control humanity on the metaphysical level. Are they looking, to, are they feeding on humanity? Is it, you know, not just blood rituals, but actual energy feeding? I, you know, the documentary talks about that, and I don't think we can discount that. You know, the matrix quality of, you know, these these uh, these ancient beings called archons that were described by the Gnostics and other lineages talk about them that basically are like parasites that feed on humans. Well, we have obviously um, broached into even mainstream conversation in recent years the uh, the adrenochrome idea and other literal physical manifestations of feeding on the fear of uh, of ritual sacrifice and all of this. I mean, it I, again, yeah, it sounds outlandish until you actually start looking into these things. Uh, as I say, I think there will be a lot of information in here that probably will be familiar to very long-time Corbett Report listeners. I've talked about a lot of this before, the political pedophilia, the Franklin scandal, these types of things. There were some things in there that were even new to me. I've, I must confess, I've never really looked at the Son of Sam murders or anything like that, so I, I didn't really know anything about that, but you even have a little bit on that and how it wasn't just, uh, it probably wasn't just one guy doing this, was it? No, absolutely not, no. There was a good good docu-series that came out just before mine on Netflix. Netflix, you know, occasionally has something decent. Um, it was called The Sons of Sam. And it was really focusing on the cult network and the fact that there were these, you know, the Carr brothers, you know, uh, sorry, Sam himself was Sam Carr. He was a neighbor of Berkowitz. A uh, very strange individual. His two sons, both of whom were alleged to be part of this cult, both died as soon as Maury Terry, the investigative journalist who wrote The Ultimate Evil, trying to expose the greater cult beyond Berkowitz, that Berkowitz was confiding to him about, um, as soon as they started investigating those Carr brothers, sons of Sam, both of them died. <laughs> one in a car crash, the other one apparently suicided on a, like next to, a, an, I think it had an army base in uh, North Dakota. So I was interviewing uh, Boots Rothstein, what's his name? Yeah, Boots Rothstein, who's like an old detective from that time period. And he would just talk about like, yeah, you know, they talk about all these member that 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 uh, apparently he uh, the son of Sam uh, that they call they called Berkowitz the son of Sam that he was getting these messages from this black do you know this dog well the dog was that belonged to the car so it's just to Sam Carr and his and his kids and it's like this this black Doberman thing and that was like well they were just finding dead Dobermans in that Untermeyer Park next to where Car where Berkowitz lived in in the, the Bronx. You know, they've been finding this from before Berkowitz got out of the military. Like, there has been ritual uh, cult-like activity in that area for a while. And it was almost like uh, Berkowitz kind of felt, you know, coming out of the Army, you kind of wonder about, like, MKUltra kind of, I think it was uh, Marines, maybe? Because he, he, you can see in the photos, he looks a little bit checked out. He's got a little bit of that, like, Oswald kind of thing to him, right? Where, like, he comes out of the Marines, and you're kind of wondering... Uh, um, you know, was this guy a little bit, you know, messed with the programs and has the ability as, you know, as a, basically to, to check out, to dissociate. So Berkowitz, you know, did claim, did, did admit, he said, look, I did kill, what, two or three of the victims. But there was always, you know, people talking about like a, 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 like a van or a car that was in the area that was like a spotter. There was, you know, every, all the different eyewitnesses 
have like different, you know, one looks like one of the Carr brothers, one looks like Berkowitz, one looks like a, like a totally tall, like blonde guy. Like it's like all the different, you know, eyewitness descriptions are different of the shooter. So it really indicates more of a gang and the actual motivation is really where it gets very fishy, you know, as to like, well, was this done as like a ritual, like a blood ritual to like terrify the city? Um, I always, you know, whenever there's blood rituals that are that go mainstream, it's not just there's an aspect of chaos, right? I mean, because look, look, that's what the reality we're living in right now. It goes from scandal to scandal. You know, that's the nature of the news cycle. But you know, back then you didn't have 24-hour news cycles, but you had to kind of keep the uh, the population in various forms of fixation and terror. If you think about it, that's what you know. That's how we're ruled. You know, a major aspect of of keeping people enslaved is to keep them in constant states of fear. So that you can guide their activities, you can guide again. You can guide their 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 activities as far as markets are concerned. You can guide their activities as far as you know just uh, movement and, and and motion, relocation out of cities into cities. All this stuff is very interesting. The dynamics of, of how how the elite try to manipulate the masses. So you know you think about a terror operation like what was going on, and you wonder about like the other financial motivations to it. Um, are there as we, you know, we didn't get into this in the documentary, but I talked to this, some of these guys that are doing deeper research into it. And they're like, some of these, some of these people that were killed do seem like one or two steps removed from the Nuganhan bank, which was a, a drug trafficking bank <laughs> that had just been exposed. Uh, and I think it was at hand that, that ended up dead. I think it was like hand that ended up dead and it like disappeared or something like it gets really weird right because that was a total drug trafficking bank from the vietnam war era from the heroin they were trafficking heroin and laundering their money through nugan hand in australia so it's like you know you start to really think like could you use uh, a terror operation to you know to basically kill off people that you want to be silenced or threatened right i mean that's that's kind of how some of these serial killers might be working you have to, as, we, as you know there's a book called program to kill which gets into a lot of the serial killings and how many of them are tied to military or CIA or MKUltra type of programs. And very few are acting alone, especially like the famous stuff like uh, Henry Lee Lucas, who, you know, took credit for like thousands of killings because they were basically bribing him in prison. <laughs> so he just wanted to get like milkshakes every time he would confess. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I note that you do no uh, mention, obviously, the Epstein scandal as the tip of the iceberg in the introductory text to this documentary series. And I think that probably has been a, uh, as horrible as it sounds, a good way of broaching the subject with a much, much wider audience who even just a few years ago would have dismissed all of this stuff as just crazy nonsense. I imagine there has been a tidal wave and change in public opinion on these types of subjects, but you can tell us what kind of feedback you've been receiving about this documentary series so far. Yeah, I mean, no, our feedback has been great. What I think is really cool is to see things like Jenny uh, Thomas, right, who's like Clarence Thomas's wife, coming out talking about stuff that people were saying, like, oh, connected to the Q drops, and oh, she's a Q conspiracy. And it's like, is she just a Q conspiracy person, or does she have, or, you know, is she probably paying attention to some things? And see, this is where I think a lot of this, like, how do you say, a lot of this coincides around things that may be relative to Q or to, you know, to Q and on, but I try to stick to the, you know, to the facts as much as possible, so it makes it harder to attack me for what's said in here so i think for the most part the mainstream would ignore it i never expected 
a docu-series like this to end up on a Netflix or something. I, I really wanted this to be direct for for our audience, um, who, you know, obviously is, <clears throat> we've got over 100,000 plays at this point, and I think we can get to millions if people keep spreading it and keep talking about it, um, because it's just, it really is as fact-based as I can get, you know, as much as I appreciate, I love Fall of Cabal and Out of Shadows and work like that, um, I think they did their, their job in sort of red-pilling people. I think what I, with this, we just tried to be as factual as we could be based on cases, based on stories, based on journalists that we could basically say, look, this is as credible as we, as we know. We, we're not answering it for you. We're just raising, you know, we're basically showing you the evidence and then we're raising the questions like good journalists are supposed to do, right? In the old days, journalists were supposed to present, you know, facts as much as, you know, to the level they knew them. And then they were supposed to say, you know, here's one side and here's the other side. Now I'm not saying well, I'm a journalist because this is a documentary. But we've totally lost that in our culture because our culture is split, as we know. And our, you know, especially in America, I'm not sure where you are as much, but like we basically have split into two versions of reality, and it's a fascinating thing to watch. <laughs> where you just it have certainly is. It's terrifying in some respects, but fascinating is one word for it. But I, uh, I appreciate your approach to this because I'm, I'm on record. I, I was not a fan of the QAnon nonsense that happened over the past five years uh but uh, there were obvious there was real information that was being forwarded through that and so people uh, perhaps for the first time were hearing about things like epstein and whatever and that maybe they thought that came from q no we were talking about it years before there was the q phenomenon but um but at any rate i like the approach that you took in this as you say talking to talking to journalists talking to people who have actual experience of this talking to some of the investigators on the son of sam case and things along those lines um, so that people can get the as close to the documentation as we can, given the nature of this type of subject. Um, but as people who watch the Corporate Report know, I am decreasingly interested in simply circling around talking about the problems. I am increasingly interested in the solution side of things. And that's a particularly difficult nut to crack in this case, because how do you begin talking about solving the problem of these international pedophile networks that are embedded in governments and things like this? What can average person as an average individual do about what is going on? It seems like a monumental task to even begin to think about, but what what would be your response on that uh, on that side of things? What can people do with this information? To me, it's it's very much like when you when you as you know when you become aware of something, your reality shifts slightly, your consciousness you know opens, expands, and so it begins with things like okay, are we you know are we seeing these things in our everyday life, and if so, can we can we help to stop? Because it really tra you know trafficking of kids is the most extreme, right? The raping of kids is the most extreme. It doesn't only happen internationally. It happens in people's neighborhoods. It, it happens, you know, unfortunately, all too often. You know, sitting in a group, I was in a, in a, in a medicine ceremony, you know, and it's like there's out of 10 people, like three or four of them had had childhood molestation, right? Both men and women. So it's like you're looking at maybe, you know, 30, 40% of the population. I'm just guessing here. But, I, you know, it's, I don't think it's, that's a far stretch to say that far too many people are being uh, abused, and it's not just molestation, it's verbal abuse, it's physical abuse. We have to get control of our psyche. We have to get control of ourselves, of our trauma that everyone carries, because that's how the system really functions. The system is a, is a trauma-based, they call it mind control, 
And yes, the CIA has perfected it and the various, you know, the deep state actors have perfected that and the news uses it in a way. Uh, but we do it to ourselves, to our own children. You know, do we, do we, we, we don't heal ourselves. So for me, uh, the message really is always about doing the inner work, going back to when I was doing Buzzsaw and saying, you know, you are the revolution. We have to become the sovereign man and woman. We have to take power back from that system. Where are we putting our money? Who are we, you know, who are we supporting and, and, and working with and building, you know, building our, our reality and our dreams with? And are they are they good people? Are they have the right energy? Or are they, you know, just, oh, well, they're, hey, they have money, so I want to work with them, right? Too much of the old system was predicated on that. Too much of it predatory. It's why our Harvey Weinstein could operate the way he did as, you know, as basically this, this guy that everyone had to work with in Hollywood or scared to out, even though they all knew what he did and what he was and they would tell women you know if they were friends you know stay away from him but uh but here he is with epstein and the clintons and he's you know he's toasted there by everybody and he's operating for 30 years as a complete scoundrel because that's them that we allow we allow that system to perpetuate until we take our power back from it so i'm all about that i'm all about that process and that's why the new thing that i'm offering is called uh, it's called the art of success workshop because it's about reconfiguring our relationship with success to get away from these these antiquated models of su succeeding within the matrix system that ultimately is feeding on your energy that's draining you that's taking you know that says oh great we can you know we promise you riches and this at the end of the at the end of the the road well in the meantime you get your soul drained <laughs> and they can take it all from you because it's not really yours if you don't really own own your success your power your worth so that's what interests me i think is that it's that inner journey um, that we can each step into. Well, it seems to me if we are being enslaved through manipulation by fear and ignorance, then courage and wisdom are absolutely essential for us to fight back against that. And uh, so I think we have to redefine the terms of success and what it means and how we achieve it, rather than to play their rigged and manipulated game. Again, it's a tall, tall order. There's a lot involved with that, but it has to start with, at the very least, being eyes wide open about what is happening and seeing it for what it is. So I think documentary series like these ones are great ways of certainly broaching the subject with people who are starting to understand and starting to see things, but maybe don't see how deep the rabbit hole really goes. So uh, I, I will once again refer people to seanstone.info where they can find more information about this work, about the art of success, about your New World Order book, other projects you're involved with. Uh, anything else you'd like to wrap up with before we, we leave the viewers today? No, I mean, overall, I just want to give people like, I, I really think that we're on a good path. Overall, I do. I feel the energy, everything has shifted. You know, if I think back on like 2012, right, this great, like this, this transition, right, the end of the Mayan calendar, where we're entering the Aquarian age, um, the, the energy that, that I feel that has shifted in awareness, human awareness since then, I look, you know, I look back at the various memes that were circulating then, the, the beginning, people were starting to talk about the Illuminati en masse, they were starting to get, get into like some of these things, right, there was the, these, these conspiracies that were starting to come out into the open, and, and so it was, it was like, from there to 2022, I think there's a huge shift in what people are able to digest, recognizing right the stuff that you know the franklin scandal and like you know political pedophilia and child sacrifice and you know blood harvesting and stuff like that like that i knew about you know when i was probably in my college years but 
you know, others obviously have known about for decades. Like you couldn't even talk about that. And the fact that, you know, I go to my local barber and probably, you know, <laughs> probably get nearful about it. It just tells me a lot. It tells me a lot that there is this, we have come a long way. And so I feel like we've hit a lot of these, how do you say, a lot of these, like, uh, these, these markers. And this is really what it's, you know, what people are talking about, Q or whatnot. It's, it, to me, it's just a clock. It's like we've hit markers on this clock of, of, of transition. And that doesn't mean everyone's going to be part of the transition. In fact, you know, who knows whether it's a third or half that won't make it or, you know, two thirds even that won't that won't transition, that maybe will end up roboticized, that will, you know, allow themselves to go with that game plan of, you know, Agenda 2030 and whatnot and being part of the cities and being totally fried with EMFs and <laughs> having, you know, having the Amazon chip in their brain and the Google Glass in their eyeball. I mean, whatever it may look like, right? I don't think that's all of us. I think that's at least a third of us that are that are part of this saying saying no, we don't want that game anymore. We want new economic models. We want a new financial system. So I think that we're really if you know where there's a vision, it begins in the imagination to bring it into manifestation. It brings it into reality. And when there's a lot of people sharing a vision, it's just a matter of time before that comes to be. I would say time and hard work. So <laughs> I think we need to roll up our sleeves and get to get to work. But absolutely, I can attest in the work that I've been doing over the past 15 years now that absolutely there has been a title change in public opinion on these types of things. And more people than ever before are looking at them, thinking about them, and hopefully activated to do something about them. So at any rate, I think we'll direct people once again to the website, seanstone.info. I think we'll leave it there for today. Sean Stone, thank you for being back on The Corporate Report. You got it. Thank you.